let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, we've got the awkward politics of crime, the awkward logistics of a Beyonce concert, and it is vacation season, even at restaurants. CityCast's Julia Karen and Washingtonian's Jessica Sidman are here to round up the week. Today is Friday, August 11th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey, Jess. Hey, Julia. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. All right. So there was a whole thing this week to do where uh, D.C. Council Member Treyon White, he represents Ward 8, which is mostly across the river, southeast D.C., some of the poorest neighborhoods in Washington, some of the most uh, crime-ridden neighborhoods in Washington. And uh, we have, for those of you who don't know, it's been a really murderous beginning of August. It's terribly sad. Treyon came out and said, hey, we are in a war zone, and I want to call in the National Guard to help patrol the streets. Those words he used we're in a war zone were pointed in that the new police chief had said this is not a war zone and uh, you know she wasn't denying this wave of murders she was more like i think speaking aspirationally like folks come on this isn't a war zone but at any rate this call for more bodies on the street is like kind of an interesting thing and is going to be an issue going forward with the politics of crime and i think crime when it goes up it re- it just really injects like a dose of ugliness and paranoia into politics. We had it like 25 years ago, but it's it's sort of hard to remember. And I think that's what's going on here. The mayor has said, no, 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 we're not going to call in the National Guard. We are trying to get more police. We're trying to recruit more police. They have the number of police has trended downward. The police departments across the country have had trouble everywhere recruiting and retaining members. But this is actually a big change because just a couple of years ago, the energy and the creativity in city politics seemed to be in like finding ways of not having as many police on the street, farming some of the tasks out, the mental health interventions and so on to people who are not gun-carrying uniformed officers. And we're in a kind of weird dynamic here where like the, the members who represent some of the neighborhoods where people are most hurt by crime and murder are asking for more law enforcement bodies at a time when the defund the police push is being increasingly caricatured as a thing of like elite progressives. I don't know. It's like a pretty wild moment. uh, And I'm not quite sure how to read it. Yeah, I don't either. I think my question to Mayor Bowser and maybe to you is like, one, like, what can they do to ensure that like police are actually keeping citizens safe? And then also like hypothetically, if they were to call in the National Guard, like, how would that be different? How would that work if they brought in the Guard? Like, what would they do differently? 
Right, right. So the core and the core competence of National Guarding, in case you don't know, is not urban policing. Yeah, I was uh, going to say. Know, and I think like looking at, at Trayon White's press conference, uh, you know, I think what he wants is just like bodies out there. And this is like a big piece of like urban safety theory, just like the more eyes are on the street, whether those eyes belong to a cop or a National Guardsman or like a lady sitting on her porch who's going to like holler if somebody's misbehaving. These are like a good and safe thing. I don't, uh, you know, one of the frustrating things about this elevation of murders is that nobody, as best I can tell, has come up with a theory of the case. Like, why are more people killing each other? And they'll say, well, it's more guns. But I mean, are there, you know, is it easier to get a gun now than it was four years ago? And then I heard one case where a law enforcement person said, well, there's more, there's all these beefs, these you know, yeah. people having few. Well, I mean, are people somehow more apt to beef with one another now than they were just a couple of years ago. I don't like I, I don't think anyone has quite figured out the why of it. I mean there's like some specific things like carjackings seem to happen a lot mm. to like DoorDash drivers. And so that's like an opportunity that didn't exist ten years ago. But I think you kinda gotta figure out the why to get to the to what to do next. It's interesting because so we did an episode about youth violence in the city on the rise and and one of the theories that was postulated was like because social media is much more prevalent, like a beef that happens on social media, you can take it out on someone on the street. Like you can find them, hit them up and it escalates. And that's part of the reason why youth violence is at like basically a record high right now. So I do wonder if like at the adult level that has something to do with it. I'm curious to see if there are solutions because I do think that there is like a mental health component of where do we need police to actually be to help versus just like, let's insert another person with a gun, you know? Wait, so Jess, you cover restaurants and dining in Washington. The high-profile murders and the high-profile incidents of gun violence and, and carjacking and stuff, that's not all, I mean, some of it's happening in high-traffic, high-density, gentrified neighborhoods full of uh, pricey restaurants. Is this something that the owners and you know, people who work in that industry are seeing as uh, impinging on business at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I it's one of those things you don't want to sensationalize it too much, but I definitely am hearing from restaurant owners all the time about the impact of crime. And I've heard numerous people say that it was affecting their business, um, especially, you know, certain neighborhoods like H Street or even Columbia Heights that whether there is an uptick or crime or not, there's 100% a perception that it might be a little dangerous, at least among certain groups. So some diners are hesitant to, you know, go to certain neighborhoods. I think there have been uh, a rash of burglaries and break-ins. Um, it just is a weekly occurrence that you see some restaurant or bar post a photo on Instagram of a smashed window. And, you know, I just don't remember that being the case a decade ago when I, you know, started covering the dining scene. And now it's all the time. Are they seeing it and depressing the amount of people coming out to eat? I don't know that there are any actual, you know, quantitative studies right. on this. But anecdotally, I have heard some restaurant owners talk about that right. but on top you know there are also other reasons like things are more expensive you know there are other, mm -hmm. other reasons people aren't going out so it's hard to really figure out exactly what it is right and that's one of the things about what crime like this sort of panic about crime does 
is that it becomes a thing that sort of feeds on itself. There was a thing like in the 80s or 90s or something when um, Barry, who was the mayor then, he was quoted saying like, well, other than the murders, crime in D.C. is not that bad. And everybody laughed at him, right? Like, what a silly thing to say. But what he meant and was saying unartfully was that we were in the midst of a war over uh, drug sales and that the people involved in that war were engaging in tremendous acts of violence, often against each other, sometimes innocent bystanders. Um, and that, like, by the standards of other crimes, you know, rapes and armed robberies and whatever, D.C. was not uh, uh, any particularly different than anywhere else. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone's got a theory of the case here, but there is this, like, anything you can say to try to tamp down hysteria over it also can look awfully insensitive to people who are, like, getting guns stuck in their face or, or being shot or something. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, so there was a Beyonce concert this week at FedEx Field, and uh, that's usually not the sort of uh, thing that our uh, uh, intensely news-focused Friday Roundup focuses on. But this Beyonce concert, uh, as with many things at FedEx Field, led to some uh, disasters and inconvenience. What happened, Julia? Okay, uh, so... There were a couple of things that happened. As you might know, we've had some upticks in like pretty windy and violent winds and storms going on over the last couple of weeks. We know that like there have been trees down. They've taken power lines down, stuff like that. One of those storms hit FedEx Field out in Landover. And the way that it was managed by FedEx Field, I think, has kind of brought into question how the area is managed. So the way that they got news out to fans on Sunday this is when the concert was happening, was via a tweet at like 6.40 p.m. that like, hey, you should shelter in place, stay in your cars, like don't come into the stadium. Uh, and people were already there. <laughs> like people were already making their way into the stadium. And so I don't know how you like shelter in place in that regard. Do you like shelter like in the parking lot, like near a tree? Do you try to make your way inside the stadium and like hunker down that way? Do we think FedEx Field is stable enough to weather that kind of thing? Big questions that didn't really get a good answer. 
Um, so people were pretty furious about that. There was one person who posted on Twitter, they're trying to shelter in place in FedEx Field, and they tweeted about the fact that, like, the shelter in place had 50,000 people waiting in a hallway at FedEx Field, and it was super duper hot because you've got all these bodies, like, clustered together, and there's no way for the heat to escape. So that was a thing that is, like, pretty problematic. And then, like, it continues to rain. At, like, 10.20 p.m., there's, like, massive rains, massive winds. The show continues to be on hold. Like, eventually, Beyonce takes the stage. And, like, as someone who has seen Beyonce, I can tell you, it is definitely worth seeing her. But I don't know that I would put up with, like, 70, 80-mile-an-hour winds and, like, huddling and turtling for warmth in the rafters of FedEx Field to try and see her. And basically, FedEx Field is trying to figure out what the heck happened at this. So, like, their spokeswoman, Jean Medina, said the stadium is reevaluating its crowd control methods to try to get people moving in a certain direction so it's less chaotic. You know, like, uh, it's just, you know, it's just a mess. And so, I don't know. What do you guys think? Would you <laughs> try to shelter in, in place at FedEx Field during a storm or not worth it to you? How much were tickets for that show? Like, a lot. <laughs> that's, you got to... <laughs> You know, if it was a Fugazi show and you only paid five bucks. Yeah, exactly. This is like in a long list of like questionable-ish things about FedEx Field. Like we had an interview with Sam Fortier of the Washington Post about like, are the Washington commanders going to try to finally like switch stadiums? Because he literally rated it like one of the worst stadiums, if not the worst in the NFL. Like there have been other weird incidences. There was a railing that collapsed at FedEx Field. It gave way as the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts was like just trying to head into the locker room after the game. And like there were fans that like collapsed and stuff. There was also a questionable pipe burst, right? And and there was maybe like feces and stuff on fans. Like it's just in a long line of of questionable things about FedEx Field. I don't know. So the, the cynic in me might suggest that this news was delightful to the new ownership group of the Washington Commanders. Oh, I bet it who was. would very much like to leave FedEx Field and would also very much like to cause taxpayers somewhere to help them build a, a new facility. There's an argument that, dude, like FedEx Field's only like, I don't know, 25 years old or something. Like it's not, like these things are supposed to be built for like the ages. Um, like the Roman Coliseum is still there. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> The Roman Coliseum FedEx Field is not. I will. I will. I will put it lightly that True way. True that. Now. Right. Um, but the point is, um, m more bad news about FedEx Field may have an effect on uh, something that's going to be, I think, a really big political issue in either in D.C. or in one of the other jurisdictions locally in the next couple of years. And um, this example, like you know, I'm sure there's like social media images and stuff of people like squeezed against the barricades. It is terrible. And it could have been much worse. But the end result could help uh, getting uh, us to float bonds to build a stadium for uh, a billionaire. Yeah, no, I mean, it is it is one of those things where like, I'm thinking right now of all the people who want Taylor Swift to come to DC. And I wonder if one of the reasons is because like, she knows FedEx Field is a bad place. If the new owners of the commanders are like, oh my God, like, if we need a 50,000 person stadium, 60,000 person stadium, if we can divert that money, sure, maybe it like is definitely for selfish interests, but it also could be just like, you know, a functioning outdoor stadium in the middle of the city. You know, I will say outside of FedEx Field, Jessica, 
you got to break a like much more fun Beyonce story over the weekend uh, at a place that I'm sure has more structural integrity than FedEx Field. What's it about? Yes. Yeah, so while Beyonce was preparing for her big performance, uh, her husband Jay-Z and sister Solange went to brunch, classic DC activity. And they went to a kind of unexpected restaurant, which is Opal in Chevy Chase. Oh my God, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a relatively new restaurant. It, it's only a year old, uh, serving, they call it coastal American cuisine. So it's a little under the radar. And uh, the owner of the restaurant said he had no idea how they chose that particular restaurant but they just they just showed up no reservation i guess if you're jay-z you don't need a reservation i was gonna say you just walk up in and you're like hello and they're just like they make a table appear for you magically you know exactly um and they apparently stayed a few hours had a great time they how did and how did people find out about this oh so jay-z offered to take a photo with the staff of the restaurant um the owner was saying, you know, usually they think when they get some sort of a high profile guest, they would not, you know, uh, promote it. They try to respect that person's privacy. But Jay-Z, I guess, was cool and was like, yeah, I'll take photos. So they posted it on social media and it was making the rounds. And then you wrote about this and your traffic went nuts, too. People love brunch and they love Beyonce and Jay-Z. That's a watch. Give the people what they want, man. Give the people what they want. <laughs> All right. Well, it's right near me. So why don't you know, we go to brunch sometime? TL. Count me in. Cool. All right. So you wrote a, a cool story. I mean, it's like a, sort of a charming thing. This uh, idea of uh, restaurants that go on summer vacation, which seems very like European to me. Um, in America, no one ever uh, takes a break. Um, what's the story? <laughs> yeah. So I think traditionally there's this idea that restaurants for the most part are always open right you can count on them to be open year-round you could count on most of them to be open on holidays thanksgiving christmas other days that um you know maybe the rest of us traditionally have off but more and more restaurants are saying no actually you know what we deserve a vacation too we want a summer break mm. um and especially coming out of the pandemic when there was that forced break, I think was a wake up call for a lot of people that, you know, these are humans who work here and they too need a breather. Um, they need some time off. They need a paid vacation. So, um, yeah, more and more restaurants are taking an August break and sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's two weeks, maybe even a little more. And it's that opportunity to just have a vacation like the rest of us. I was going to say, is August when it looks like a lot of these places are taking like a week long break? Is that like a slow season for restaurants? Because I imagine with like tourists and stuff, like obviously August might not be quite as popular, but it's right before people are going back to school. I would imagine that like coinciding with tourist season doesn't mean that they lose business. Do they time it so that it's more beneficial? Like, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. August is famously a very slow time for the restaurant business. January as well. You know, obviously, Congress is in recess. A lot of people go on vacation. School starts. And that's why you see promotions like Restaurant Week are often in August to kind of build up business in an otherwise slow time. So 
it's a it's good timing in terms of businesses can close down and not lose as much revenue as they would during a busier time of year. But you also wrote about places that had uh, shrunk the amount of vacation they took. Yes. Because of because it's a in some neighborhoods at least it's a, a tough time in the industry. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's worth saying the reason the restaurants have to shut down is for a vacation is because there's not enough people in most restaurants for people to just be like going off and taking their individual vacations. Um, if you want to give everyone a break, you know, you're going to have to close down. The reality is a lot of businesses are still struggling coming out of the pandemic. I think there's this perception that everything's back to normal, but a lot of businesses have lingering debt. And so, yeah, I spoke to the owner of Brine, which is an oyster bar restaurant, which has locations on um, H Street and in DuPont. And he used to do um, a two-week break for his staff. But this year, he said, you know, I really can only afford to do oh, wow. one week. The margins are, are too slim. I, ju- I just can't afford it. Dang. And it's also worth saying, um, you know, usually these are paid vacations. And it's it, if you're salaried, you're it's fully paid. But for the most part, from the business owners I spoke to, they don't make up the tips that their tipped workers would make mm. during that time. So the tipped workers will make minimum wage for the hours they would have worked. But a lot of servers, bartenders in D.C. make far far more than that. And businesses aren't necessarily compensating them for what for those missed gratuities. Mm. All right. So what are what are some places that I should not plan to be going to in the next month or so? Yeah. Which of my favorites can I not frequent anymore? (laughs) I know like Oyster Oyster just came back, I think, from their vacation, although it's impossible to get a table there anyway. Fair enough. Um, I think La Tejana, very popular. Um, Breakfast, taco, joint in Mount Pleasant. They just started their two-week vacation. Also in Mount Pleasant, Martha Deer um, is taking a summer break. Uh, on the higher end, places like Kinship and Viola taking summer breaks. Uh, so it's really a wide a wide range of, of different kinds of restaurants. But if, if it's August, maybe just check their website ahead of time to make sure the restaurant is open. All right, Jessica Sidman, I'm so glad you were not on a vacation this week. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you. Julia, always good to see you. Thanks, Mike. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show... Tell someone who eats out regularly. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.